I'm sorry. I'm sorry I'm late. Um, play with these. Okay. So I need to pray. I'm not used to running, you know, from one place to the next. Lord, thank you that I can be this beautiful church, and I, um, I need you, you to preach this message again. So help me not to, just help me, Lord. Um, I pray that you will be glorified <clears throat> and that you'll honor everyone's commitment to come here by coming and encouraging all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, our ministry started in Amsterdam. We felt like that's where I met my wife and my two sons. Uh, we're born there, just outside of the red light district. And uh, we felt like we were supposed to reach the young people in, in the city that would never come to church because they thought that Jesus was just a dead, empty tradition from the past, uh, that God was irrelevant to their lives, uh, which was pretty much everyone in the city. And, uh, and so we had a lot of people to reach. And uh, now our, our, in its grown, I don't have time this morning to explain all of it, but our, the purpose of our ministry is to reach this, this new demographic, the global youth culture that you can find in every urban center around the world today, uh, raised on pornography, raised on the internet, uh, growing up in a postmodern world. Uh, completely, I mean, so many people today are broken. Now, suicide is one of the highest causes of death in the United States among young people. And I know it's been a really big problem in New Zealand for a while, but this is a worldwide epidemic. And there is so much tragedy because of this group of people uh, that would never come to a church or a church event. And they're actually, and so, and which is pretty much uh, the majority of the uh, people here in, in Auckland, I would say, too. And so God has given us a real burden to reach those young people. Um, I have some, some books here. Um, Bryce, if you want to stand up, Bryce leads our work in New Zealand. We have a backpackers work in Taronga, and so we reach all the 50,000 backpackers that come through New Zealand every month in, in Taronga and in Kiwis as well, of course. Uh, and he's back there, and there's some books um, this book talks about how our ministry started in Amsterdam. Uh, it's, it starts actually with a concert I was doing with my band in Russia, and people were spitting all over me. And so when people spit on you, you try to sing with your mouth closed. And uh, this is a book is Revolutionary, Ten Principles That Will Empower Christian Artists to Change the World. Because we have a big work with Come and Live. It's, can you put the podcast slide up there, would you mind? Um, and so, and it's not things like, um, if you know, how to play your guitar or, or any of that kind of thing. But it's things like, what if you, for every hour you spent practicing the guitar, you spent another hour seeking God? Um, what gives you authority on stage is how holy your life is off stage. Uh, there's these kinds of principles. So this is not just a book for artists. This is a book for anyone who wants to be a radical Jesus follower. So I encourage you to steal this book from Bryce if you don't have the money. And uh, we'll forgive you, but God won't. <laughs> we also have a podcast, uh, Provoke and Inspire. On the right is Chad Johnson. He uh, worked with uh, Tooth and Nail Records. He signed some of the biggest bands, uh, like Under Oath, bands like that. 
uh, and uh, he's had this amazing story. Uh, the other guy is Luke Greenwood. He grew up in Brazil, but now lives in Poland. He's our European director. And that's my son, Ben, who's the creative director of No Longer Music, which is part of what I'm involved in. And the guy with the sunglasses is, is a street, some street guy we're trying to help. Um, I don't think it's working. But it shows you we reach the crazy people. And uh, so you can go on iTunes or uh, anywhere where there's podcasts. I really encourage you, if you like what I'm talking about this morning, I think some of you are supposed to join us somewhere around the world. There's so much going on, but that would be a good thing to just get to know us better. It's a weekly podcast. Uh, next week, we're having Brian Head Welsh from Corn uh, on our podcast. He's a regular contributor. He's someone we work with frequently. And then the week after that, we're having Cy Rogers, who is probably one of the biggest experts right now in the whole gender confusion thing now where people say that their, their uh, sex is not determined by their biology, but by their, how they feel which illustrates the kind of broken world we live in now, and we're going to talk about. So we talk about those kinds of issues and how to be a radical followers of Jesus in the world today. So you need to so get on our podcast, and I think it will encourage you and give you faith. Now, I'm going to show, we were in, in Colombia in Bogota, a crazy, dangerous city, and uh, we, we saw God do amazing things there, so I want to show a, a video of what happened there, and then if you're still here after the video, I will get up and speak. <laughs> Colombia needs Jesus. Hundreds of thousands of immigrants have crossed into the border fleeing economic crisis in Venezuela. Tensions and violence continue to escalate between police and immigrants who are viewed by many as a danger and economic burden to the country. A heavy presence of cocaine continues to foster gang violence and drug addiction throughout many areas. Until 1991, the Roman Catholic Church was recognized as the state religion. Today, an ever-increasing majority view God and the Church as legalistic traditions of the past. Still, many are desperately searching for hope. No Longer Music started as an outreach to punks in Amsterdam in the 80s. Since then, we have traveled all over the world and used music and theater to present the gospel outside of the church. 2018 ended with a 12-day, 10-show tour of Columbia, and the results were amazing. So we're about to start, uh, start our sound check here in Bogota and the government came to us and they, they said that they want to shut down everything because we don't have one paper. So we're trying to do our best and we need to pray about this. So Lord help us to do this. sitting on a bench. So we went up to them, what'd you think of the show? Oh, we didn't watch the show. Were you here? Yeah, we were here, but we didn't, we weren't paying attention. 
I saw that one of the guys had like this, his arm was wrapped, and I was like, well, what happened to your hand? And he said, oh, I fell, and I can't move my hand. Maybe God will show his, he's real, because clearly my words aren't working. So I prayed, and, and he just started taking the bandage off. And he was just like moving his hand all around. He's like, ah, oh, my hand's better. And so I prayed for all these guys to receive Jesus. venezolanos y me robaron el bolso con todas mis cosas tenía mi sueldo recién puesto en la cuenta de ayer finalmente tuve dinero aquí en el bolsillo de milagro nos tocó le dije al, al taxista que tenía solo seis mil pesos para pagarle y dijo que no había problema que nos iba a llevar hasta el lugar y realmente llegamos a la oración de fe ustedes fueron la respuesta a algo que yo estaba pidiendo en mi corazón cuando paso por acá, directo a una reunión más para mantenerme 24 horas más sin consumir alcohol y drogas. Toda la atracción de ver el, el evento y me muestran una vez más que es el amor de Jesucristo. Esta experiencia hoy, en esta experiencia hoy recibo a Jesucristo como el camino, la verdad y la vida. Esas palabras ya toman un sentido. Lo más impactante es que el show sea en la calle y no dentro de una iglesia. Y creo que son unos valientes por hacer eso, además. Me han invitado mucho a la ciudad apático porque no me gustan las cosas de Jesús, por muchas cosas que pasan en mi cuento. Pero venía en el transporte y sentía un paso en mi corazón muy grande. No sabía que a llorar en el transporte, pero no sabía realmente qué me pasaba, pero el pasillo era como si alguien se hubiera muerto. Cuando empecé a ver el hecho, entendí que se trataba de Jesús. Jesús cuando el de la cruz, empecé a sentir alegría, alegría, alegría. Sentí que algo, algo pasó en mi corazón, se llenó de algo raro. Y se... Sí, so it's a really big station, okay. um, and and they don't know we're Christians. Perfect. Not only were we able to share the gospel with over 11,000 people during our 10 shows, but God opened up a door for us to present who he is on one of the largest TV stations in all of Latin America, as well as on a major secular radio station. Our time in Colombia was unbelievable. Hundreds gave their lives to Jesus. People were physically healed every night, and God connected us with key influencers and gave us access to major secular platforms. Literally thousands of people heard the gospel during these 10 action-packed days. While we are overwhelmed by all that God did, it is clear that it's just the beginning. Yeah, it's been... 
an amazing, since I, was, I spoke here last, it's been amazing the things that, that God has been doing. Uh, we, were, we had teams in, in uh, the Red Square in Moscow, in Russia, where it is, it is against the law to do any proclamation of the gospel with police everywhere, and it made no difference. People were just falling to their knees in the Red Square, giving their life to Jesus. In Amsterdam, which is a, in Holland, which is a very cynical city, we saw people coming to Jesus. In Germany, we have these protest concerts uh, because uh, it's because of the political situation there. It's hard to do big outdoor events, so we do protests, demonstrations. Because you have to be, they have to let you do a demonstration. But to do a demonstration, you have to have a message. And so go, yeah, that's cool. We have a message. And so we've been, we were able to present Jesus like in, in some of the major squares in Berlin and in uh, Hamburg and Stuttgart and just unbelievable things all over Europe, Middle East. So much is going on. I don't even have time uh, to go to tell you all about it except that I think some of you are supposed to maybe give us all your money or you're supposed to uh, come join us and die somewhere, maybe Beirut or something. Um, also, I mean, uh, you know, and God is powerful in New Zealand, isn't he? He's not just powerful in South America or Europe and all these places. He's powerful here, too. I mean, if I had more time, I could give tons of illustrations of that. But we had this one event in Umu, you know, just... Uh, uh, north of Wellington, out, out of uh, the, uh, there's a pack and save there, and we had this big marquee, and we were doing these big events there. There's this guy in his car. He's this, you know, just normal, typical Kiwi dude, cynical. He's in his car, and he said, all, he said it was like this magnetic force made me turn my steering wheel into your parking lot. <laughs> and then he said, I felt like something was pulling me out of my car into the tent where you, where you guys were having your meeting, and he was one of the first ones to fall on his knees and give his life to Jesus. So God moves powerfully in New Zealand. And I could spend another two hours giving examples of that. So we need to be bold. We need to talk about Jesus. We need to bring Jesus outside of the church. I think it's great when we, when we meet together and worship together and encourage each other, and we need to keep doing that. But I think we need to now get ourselves out on the streets, out in the clubs, see God's power in the university. You know, I want to see his power in the universities here, but we need to get outside of our little ghetto and go talk about Jesus. Jesus was very much not in a ghetto. He was with the normal people. He, would, he, was, he ate with people, he, and not just the nice people, he ate with the notorious people. You know, the, the, the people that, that the society hated, despised, and so the religious people were offended. They thought, if Jesus was really holy, he would not associate like this with these bad people. You know, because to, to, to eat with somebody in that culture was not just having a meal, it was a very intimate thing. So he thought, they thought, well, this is proof that Jesus can't be from God. And so in that context, Jesus told this story in Luke 15, starting with verse 1. I'll read it to you. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, right? And so they, all the bad people were hanging out with Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told this parable. 
Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Okay, I'm going to give you my sheep ideas, which we all know is a ridiculous thing since I'm in New Zealand and you all own sheep. <laughs> I know everyone here is a sheep farmer. That's what I was told. And uh, I never had a sheep. I had a dog. So my, I have very little sheep experience, but I don't care. I'm still going to tell you what I think. And if, you, if some of my ideas are wrong, don't tell me because I've been working on this message for a long time, okay? So you have 100 sheep. And there's this one sheep that keeps running away. What is this sheep like? Well, if sheep could be vicious, you know, if you could have attack sheep, this would be an attack sheep. If sheep could bite you, this would be a biter sheep. This sheep carries a gun. This sheep doesn't dress like the other sheep. This sheep has strange sheep music. This sheep has strange sheep hair. This sheep is always taking the weak sheep off doing bad sheep stuff. I'm the shepherd. I have 99 respectable sheep. This sheep is rebellious. He's a bad influence on all the weak sheep. The best thing I can do is get rid of them. Right? I mean, after all, I have, I have 99 respectable sheep. But what does the good shepherd do? The good shepherd looks for the lost sheep. Right? Okay. During my lunch break, I'll get in my car, take a quick look around the city, see if I can find this lost sheep. But I can't go very long because the 99 sheep are in the open pasture. The open pasture. That means they're vulnerable. They're not safe. So I only can go for a short time to find this rebellious lost sheep. But what does the good shepherd do? The good shepherd looks for the lost sheep until he finds him. Until he finds him. There's no time limit. Whether it's a day, a month, or a year, the good shepherd looks for the lost sheep until he finds him. Now, this is an important aspect of lost sheep. Lost sheep are lost. That's why they call them lost sheep. What does that mean? Lost sheep go to lost sheep places. What have I said about the places that lost sheep go to? 
Thank you, God, that you'll never see me there. I've heard about the terrible things that happen in those places, but I want you to know that I'm a Christian, and you'll never see me there, and you'll never see anyone in my church there. But I know that if Jesus came to Auckland, he would know the names of the prostitutes. He would, name, he would know the names of the, of the radicals at uh, Auckland University. He'd, be in the, he'd know the guys in the clubs. He would, he would go to the places where lost sheep go to. He might even be friends with a few bankers. I was playing, or playing, I was speaking at a church uh, in Porarua, and the church had to uh, go in the back entrance because they told me that the mongrel mob was throwing rocks at them when they went to church. <laughs> so, I was, so I'm, I'm speaking to this church, Jesus, you, you can do anything, you're so powerful, we we're singing this. People, including me, were up at the front of the church. God, we love you. You can go anywhere. You can do anything. And I felt like God said to me, what about the mongrel mob? So I'm like, okay. So I go to the pastor, hoping, knowing, you know, hoping he'd say no. I told, So pastor, you, do you happen to know anybody that has connections with the mongrel mob headquarters here in Peru? I do. The sister of the president goes to our church. So I'm like, oh, cool. Well, then tell, tell uh, the sister of the president of the mongrel mob to just say, hey, there's a guy. He's a stupid American guy in a, with a band. They're Christians. You wouldn't want them to play in your pad, would you? So I thought uh, that way I could obey God without doing it. So then she goes to him. She comes back to me. I can't believe it. When I heard normally a guy like you, he just want to smash your face in just by looking at you. But he said, yes, come with your band. <laughs> like, oh, no. And you know, the church was really cool because, uh, well, I heard that a DJ had played there and the DJ the, after he played, the, the mobster guy said, you can leave, but you got to keep all your gear here. <laughs> so, so anyway, and we have really good gear. So, um, but the church said, well, we're not going to go with you. We're going we're gonna to intercede for you. <laughs> so I thought, okay, we're taking all your gear. So I just... <laughs> I thought, if they're just going to stay in here and intercede for us, do battles in the heavenlies or whatever. So we, we just went in and got our, all their drums. All, they're saying, what are you doing? Oh, we're just taking all your stuff to the mongrel mob gang because we hear they might not let us take it out. I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm just some inner healing. I need some inner healing. But we were able to go there. We were able to talk about Jesus. These tough guys, I'm like praying, we're talking with them. They're so like so open. And I'm thinking, and I said, why did you invite us to come, these Christians? Well, we just want to know. We've never heard anything like this before. When we worked in the red light district in Amsterdam, these, there's these girls that would sit behind windows. Men would walk by like they're shopping to pick out the girl that they want to be with. 
And so my wife would go behind the window to talk to this one girl. Men would walk by, they'd see my wife behind the window, and they would come to the conclusion that she was a prostitute. And I really did not like men looking at my wife like that. But I had to understand something. If my wife was going to show God's love to that girl, she had to be willing to be mistaken for a prostitute. Because if you reach lost sheep, you're going to be accused of being a lost sheep yourself. Just like Jesus. What did the religious people call Jesus? They called him a drunkard. In Amsterdam, they would have called him a junkie. They call him a glutton. They call him a sinner, an immoral person, because he loved lost sheep so much, he didn't care if he's accused of being a lost sheep. What do you do when you find that sheep? You stupid sheep. <laughs> I left behind 99 respectable sheep looking for you. And if you're really angry, you eat the sheep. or tie a rope around his neck and drag him home. And that's what I would do. I would stand up on the bridges in Amsterdam, and I would preach about all the bad things in our neighborhood. And these guys who are kickboxers would come and threaten to kill me. And I think, wow, isn't this great? I'm being persecuted. But what does the good shepherd do? The good shepherd kneels down, and he picks up the sheep, and this is a dirty sheep. This is a heavy sheep. And he puts it on his shoulders, and he carries it home. And Jesus said, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sheep who is found than over 99 sheep who are not lost. I know this guy who was a businessman just outside of Boston, 45 years old, five kids, sold real estate, walked with a limp because he damaged his knee when he was in the army, passionate about his faith, really involved in his church, but he was thinking, is this all there is to being a Christian? So he thought, well, maybe I should go to Mexico. He spoke Spanish, so he thought, maybe I should go to Mexico and I can be a missionary there. But he, he felt like before he goes to Mexico, he should go out in his neighborhood and ask God if there's anything he could do in his neighborhood. So he goes out on the street in his neighborhood and he said, so God, is there anything you want for me to do here? And he overheard this girl talking to one of her friends. And she was talking about how she couldn't go home at night because her father was abusing her. And he kept running into these young people on the street. And he told me he went back to his house and he knelt by his bed and he said, God, why are you showing this to me? I'm not a pastor. I don't work in the church. I'm a businessman. Why are you showing this to me? So he didn't know what to do. So he went to McDonald's and he bought all these french fries and he'd go out and pass them out, you know, and he, to these young people on the street and, and then his wife said, well, why don't you invite them into our, our home for a meal? 
And then he asked if I would come and speak to them. So I walk into this businessman's house, and it is packed with all of these young people. Some of them are from a gang called the Latin Kings. And so I'm there, and I told them about this beggar, this blind beggar. And he heard that Jesus was walking by. And he said, Jesus, have mercy on me. And all the people around this beggar said, would you just be quiet? Don't you know who Jesus is? You are a useless, blind beggar. You need to shut up. But the more they told him to be quiet, the louder he got. Jesus, have mercy on me. Jesus going, who's shouting? Who are all these, who's shouting? Oh, don't worry, Jesus. It's just that stupid beggar. Jesus said, no, tell him to come to me. And I said to these young people, God hears the cries of beggars. He doesn't want you to be on the street. He doesn't want you to feel like this. And, and, the, and he asked, Jesus asked him, what do you want? And he said, I want to see. And Jesus gave him back his sight. And I said to them, how many of you want to see Jesus? And they all said that they did. So I really didn't know what to do at that point. Point, so I just started to pray. And the, the, the presence of God came into the house. Some people were leaning against the living room wall like this because the presence of God was so heavy in the house. Some of these, some of these young people were laying with their faces on the floor, weeping for hours. People were knocking on the door of the house, 11.30 at night, we hear what's happening here. Would you pray for us too? And a ministry was raised up, reaching hundreds of these young people outside of Boston because a 45-year-old businessman who has five kids, who sells real estate, was willing to let God break his cold, hard heart. You see, God wants to give me his heart. He wants to give me the heart of the good shepherd. But my heart can be so cold. I can be in my car and I can go down the street and I can look out the window and I can see all these people walking by and I don't care about them. I can have people that I've lived next door to for years and years and years and I don't cry for them. I know they don't know Jesus and I don't care at all. I can have people that I go to school with, people that I go to work with. Every day. And I don't care. And the worst thing that I can do, I'm talking about me, the worst thing I can do is I can have people in my own family that don't know Jesus and I don't, my heart doesn't break, I don't cry. You know, and God is, he wants us, he wants us to have the heart of the good shepherd. But it doesn't work, you know, by just going, yeah, this is true. What's he's, what, what he's saying is right. I need to have the heart of the good shepherd. It doesn't work because I can't do anything about my heart. I can't change my heart. 
But there is something I can do. I can repent. I can repent. I can do that. And I can say, Jesus, forgive me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I don't have your heart. Sorry I'm so selfish. Sorry not, I'm not angry about all the brokenness I see around me every day. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I don't cry for my family anymore. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I say I'm your follower, but I live just like the world. I'm no different than the world. It's not right, and I'm sorry. Have mercy on me. Change my heart. Change me. I don't want to have this heart of stone. Give me a heart of flesh. And I think there are people here. You know that this message was for you this morning, and you need to repent. You need to say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I, 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 I'm sorry, and I ask that you change my heart. Let me see the world through your eyes. Take, wake me up, Lord. Stir me up. But I don't want to leave this church the way that I came in. And if that's you, then I want you to do something. It's, I don't think it's good enough to just do, do that silently in your chair. I think there needs to be a little bit of humility in it. And so, if you feel like this message was for you, I want you to get up and come up to the front of the church as an act of humility, you know, before your brothers and sisters, before God, mostly, of course, to say, Jesus, I'm serious, and I don't, I want you to, I repent, and I ask that you would give me a, your broken heart for the lost. I can't work it up, I, can't, I can get emotional, but that doesn't last. Lord, I am sincerely asking that you will forgive me, that you will change me, and that you will give me a broken heart for the lost. If that's you, come to the front of the church now. And if you can't kneel, you can come up here and stand, but I think you should respond if God has spoken to you. Like I prayed earlier this morning, Lord, I just want to say again, I'm so glad that you're not like me. That you don't, 
that you look for lost. You looked for me when I was running away from you. Thank you that you are the, you have the heart of the good shepherd. Thank you that that's what you are like. And I want to I want to have more of your heart, Lord. Give me more of your heart. I'm sorry, Jesus, that my heart can be so cold. I can be so selfish. And so with my brothers and sisters together, with my brothers and sisters, I pray for more of your heart. I can't make, I can't change my heart, but you can change my heart and I invite you to do it. And I pray that you do that for all of us here and especially those kneeling before you now. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you put a new fire inside of them, a new anger against the pain and suffering, the injustice, the the way that so many people never, all they hear is lies. They don't even get one opportunity to hear the truth about you. And I, it isn't right. And I, so Lord, I pray that you would call many here to leave their comfort zone and to show love and to share Jesus. Lord, I believe that this is on your heart and you will give us, you will show us, Lord, how to respond to this. Lord, you say there's a great harvest and few workers. Well, look around. Look at all of us. Send us into your harvest. Whether you want to do that here in Auckland or if you want us to go somewhere else, but just send us, Lord. Let us, let us experience those good works that you have created for us in advance. Let us be bright lights for your kingdom. Don't let us just forget what you've said to us this morning. Let it get stronger. When we go home, let it get stronger. When we wake up tomorrow, let it burn even more inside of us. Don't let us forget what you're saying to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.